It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Happy to be with you from uh, Liberty State Park right across the way from Manhattan. It's an unbelievable site. It's an historic site. It's as, uh, as noteworthy in American history as Ellis Island and the Statue of Liberty. I'll explain some of it and what I see and try to paint the picture for you since we are indeed on radio. And actually, we're seeing on Fox Nation, too. We're still rolling the cameras on Fox Nation. That's great. So go to the Fox Nation app and see it. Um, this hour, we're going to be joined by Mercedes Schlapp, who's standing by right now in Alexandria, Virginia, and Congressman Doug Collins, who is uh, leading in some polls and just trailing in others in uh, South Carolina to, uh, excuse me, in Georgia to represent that get, set, get that Senate seat there. So that's going to be a, that's a jungle primary. So there's a Democrat still in the mix there. So if you don't get 50 percent, you have to keep uh, you have to keep going. So they'll, we might not know the balance of power in the Senate until we have a winner in Georgia. So I don't have to keep uh, Mercedes waiting too long, being that we're now 24 hours since the end of election season. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Things are getting worse around the country. I think Thanksgiving is really going to be an inflection point. I think December is probably going to be our toughest month. Well, there you go. Uh, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, uh, coronavirus, all 14 battleground states. He increases as Anthony Fauci goes out of his way to bash the administration, showing the doctor plays politics instead of working on cures. Number two. We are in front of the famed Empire State Building, which has already been boarded up on the ground level. This is to stop people from breaking the glass and going in to loot. Even Nordstrom, the major retail chain, said they're boarding up all 350 of their locations around the country in advance of election day. The vote, the integrity, the fear of fraud to how long we must wait. What we know so far and why so many are concerned that violence will follow regardless of which candidate wins. Plus, I'll bring you the cutting edge analysis hours before the polls close. Number one. This election is a choice between a crippling depression or a historic boom. There's two ways people get inspired. They get inspired by inspiring leaders who do great things like Barack, and they get inspired by really bad leaders. I'm not being facetious. What's wrong with him? Less than 24 hours, and both Biden and Trump give their final arguments. Who did you vote for, or what are you still waiting to hear? We'll look at the polls for a final time. One woman who works as hard as anyone to get Donald Trump reelected is Mercedes Schlapp. She's been on the road trying to inspire suburban women, which suddenly has become a vulnerability for the president of the United States and joins us now. This is an official with the Trump campaign. Hey, Mercedes. Good morning. So first off, how do you feel today, uh, 24 hours from Election Day? Well, first of all, Brian, can you believe it's only 24 hours? I know. <laughs> I can't believe it. About- election for over a year and now we're in the final stretch and you know i gotta tell you i really do feel that the momentum is on our side i mean you've seen these events and you and you know like we've been following politics for a long time this is something like i've never seen when you've got thirty thousand people showing up in macon georgia when you've got you know over i would say 15 20 in florida it that those are people who are so 
uh, activated, ready to vote or have voted already, who feel very passionate about getting this president reelected, who have joined the Trump movement and understand what what is at stake to save America. And that's just in contrast to Joe Biden, who literally sounds angry. And I think every single one of his events. And so I just I just do feel and not only just feel because, I, you know, I remember, I think. But we also know that based on what we have in terms of our field game, in terms of our early voting, we're in person early voting. The president is leading in these battleground states. We've closed many of the gaps, cutting into the Democrats' leads when it comes to absentee ballots and mail-in voting. And so I I do feel that our ground game is going to really produce the results we need for Tuesday. So, I mean, I I know the Trump campaign feels that way, and Trafalgar also feels that way, but if you are reading any of the major polls, he's trailing. In Pennsylvania, 51-44. The 538 has Biden up four in Pennsylvania. You have him leading, I think, in most polls in Florida now. Uh, The Wall Street Journal overall national poll, he's trailing by 10. Um, I know that you have the Florida poll, which is which is a good one. But you have um, you have various polls. It just says different ways in which he's trailing by Michigan by six. The the New York Times Siena poll has him trailing either. These, if, if the president pulls this out, they literally have to throw all these organizations in the street because none of them had him leaving anywhere at any time. Well, what we do find is a lot of these in, in the case of these polls. It's just they use very outdated methodologies in a lot of ways. I mean, we base a lot of our information on internal data, which we trust. And we find that in each of these states, we're very, very competitive. I was just talking to our political team. They were saying that the trends are going in the right direction. The key will be our voters going out on Election Day, which we know that for Republicans, they just feel more comfortable voting on Election Day. So we're counting on those numbers uh, on Election Day for, for the Republicans to come out. What we have seen is that literally I think the Democrats have scared their own party members saying don't vote in person, basically just vote by mail. And I just think that that is just not a good approach for the Democrats. So, I look, Brian, I, you know, I've traveled to every single targeted state. I was just with Ivanka last week in about three different states. And there is just something that is different in terms of the people that are just ready to um, not only are they involved in volunteering when we have over 2.5 million volunteers, but we've made 150 million voter contacts in the cycle in these targeted states. That is unprecedented. And I and I just I'm telling you, Biden just does not have that ground game. You could fill out an absentee ballot, but you've got to chase that ballot down and make sure that that vote is casted. But Biden people just did not build out a ground game. So I think we are just in a stronger position um, from that perspective. And I do think a lot of these Trump voters, they do not pick up the phone and answer these pollsters questions. And you see a lot of these where, uh, you know, I would say about 48 percent say, well, you know, I think my neighbor's voting for Donald Trump, but they're quiet about it. And and that's more than what we see in terms of Biden. So I'm just a little skeptical about these polls. I'm going to go with our internal polls that show us very competitive uh, in all of these battleground states. I want you to hear what Lindsey Graham says and tell me if you you understand the sentiment. Cut 10. Donald Trump's uh, the James Brown of politics. He's the hardest working man I've ever seen. These rallies helped me. The last 10 days have been a sea change in the 2020 election cycle. The Republican Senate is an insurance policy against a socialist America. They're throwing everything but the kitchen sink at us. 
You get that sense more than even 2016? Oh, absolutely. I think that you've seen more of this uh, third-party money, obviously trying to defeat some of our very strong Senate candidates like Senator Lindsey Graham, which I know he'll end up winning South Carolina. But uh, there, there is this sense that they, the Democrats, from a money perspective, have really uh, tried to, to, to spend a lot of money in these Senate uh, races. Um, I do think we're going to be, you know, we're going to keep the Senate majority. That's the goal. And as we know, uh, when the president's going to win some of these battleground states, these Republican senators will win along, uh, along his side. Because at the end of the day, mm-hmm. I think that the American people are very concerned about how far left the Democratic Party has gone. And I give an example of that. Now, I think there's a strategy to this. There's a Zoom call that went public. It was Bernie Sanders and the squad. And basically they're saying what most Americans, apolitical Americans, fear, that the Joe Biden portrayed as a moderate will have, even if he wanted to be a moderate, he won't be able to. Listen to this. Cut eight. We understand that electing Biden is not the end all. It is the beginning. Okay. And I think as the result of the work that all of you have done, Biden's proposals in this campaign are a lot stronger than they were in the primary. And his proposals are stronger. Do they go as far as we would want? No, they don't. And we're not giving up on our agenda. But you know and I know that at the end of the day, the only way that we're going to provide quality care to every man, woman, and child in an affordable way is through Medicare for all. And we ain't giving up on that struggle. All right. We're going to introduce Medicare for all. We organize our people to make sure that Biden becomes the most progressive president. And he goes on to endorse the new Green Deal, which he's going to look to jam down Biden's throat and our throat. And with the vice president that he picked actually agrees with Bernie. Yeah. I mean, I got to tell you, that's why this idea that people can think. And, and, you know, I've got some of these kind of bushy people who now are like supporting Biden. They're like, well, I'm conservative, but I'm supporting Biden because he's a decent guy. And you're just going, do you recognize that they're going to fundamentally change this country? Like we will not recognize America. Like if they get a hold of the Senate, if they win the presidency and they keep the house, this is get rid of the filibuster. This is jam every single radical policy you can imagine from the green new deal to Medicare for all. This is what the left is dreaming about because at the end of the day we know that joe biden is weak i mean he can put barely put a sentence together we know he's not in charge he can barely do two events a day and at the end of the day it's going to be the bernie sanders and aoc they're just much louder and stronger than joe biden and so they have a very and I, I don't agree he's a decent guy mercedes i i don't think he's a good guy i i don't i i never did I think he's a total phony, and you could see the anger comes out in his stump speeches, and you see the fact that he screams at people who bring up things about his past and his son's ridiculous dealings that should have disqualified him even before the primaries. And the fact that no one brings this up, let alone engages, engages for the audience to know ABC tried one time, followed around to what did Hunter do with China, and that was their reporting. And the fact that he's even gotten the nomination and is on, on the cusp of possibly becoming president shows that the media is just in bed with him. And if I'm to make one suggestion to the president, roll that Bernie Sanders tape. He's been rolling tape in his live events. You've been there. This is what people should say. Absolutely. I think you're absolutely right. I, you know, I think that people need to be aware that there is this far left that's going to make sure that they pass every single piece of legislation that would abolish 
the fossil fuel industry as, you know, he, he danced around it. You know, he said it one time and then he had to he, then he tried to get away from that answer. They will pack the court. That is what you do in places like Venezuela, where they pack the court so that they can have these these radical just justices on the Supreme Court to only back um, this uh, liberal agenda. So it's it is it, this is where they want to take the country. And I think that Americans are just much smarter this, than this. And it's why I think at the end of the day, people are going to whether they're silent or not silent come out and support the president because they do have to realize that Joe Biden is just right. falling in line with whatever the left wants to do, all because he wants to be president, uh, which we know he wouldn't be able to lead for, for a very long time. All right, Mercedes, uh, tell me last maybe I a question to you. The yeah. battleground states you're most confident in and the ones you most then the one you're most worried about. Oh, and I always get asked this question. I think, you know, I'm I'm more confident in Pennsylvania. I know that sounds – I know people are like, wow. what's going to happen in Pennsylvania? I just feel that we're going to be able to win Pennsylvania. I think that there was a lot of damage done when Joe Biden went after not only fracking but also uh, talking about attacking fossil fuels. And when you have the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette come out and endorse the president, they haven't endorsed a Republican since 1972 – that's very, very significant. Um, I do think the one I, I, I worry about, I think we're going to end up winning, is, is going to be Michigan. Um, I think Michigan is, you know, just it's, it's a tough state, but I do feel that we're going to pull it out at the, at the end um, because I think that we're attracting a lot more mm. black voters than uh, people think, and especially black men. And then, uh, right. you know, we'll be able to make significant ground in that state as well. And my last statement to you that I know you can appreciate is that there are certain things in life you can't control, but you could always control effort. And people, if Donald Trump wins this, he had, he'll blue-collar it his way through. And if Joe Biden doesn't, it's because he didn't put the effort in. He didn't go out and fight for it until two days before the end because he thought he had a layup. And I think people can respect that. And that's why the Park Avenue label on the president, even though he was born with born into money, never will stick because he doesn't act that way. Uh, Mercedes, thanks so much. I know the president appreciates all the work you've done at the White House and also to, to keep him in the White House. So thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much, Brian. All right, go get him. one 408 So did you vote? And if not, what are you waiting for? And what are you still waiting to hear? We'll talk about that. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. 
In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Pennsylvania has not bumped up to a seven or eight point Biden lead like we see in Michigan and Wisconsin. It's five points. It's not a big early voting state, so a lot of votes have not yet been cast in Pennsylvania. Among the votes that were sent in by mail, there are some provisions about a naked ballot, a security envelope that can make things more complicated. You can get have the courts involved. You have some protests, looting in Philadelphia, right? There's lots of stuff going on, and maybe a lot of little things add up, and Biden loses Pennsylvania by half a point. Without Pennsylvania, then Biden becomes an underdog. Incredible, because the, the assumption is the president's really pulling ahead in Florida, thanks to Hispanic votes, believe it or not, Venezuelan and Cubans. That, according to reports, which has the Biden people optimistic about Florida to a degree is because they feel they cut into the senior advantage. But on a Monmouth poll out now, and, and I'm going to remember this, Monmouth has Trump trailing by seven. 538 has Biden up by four. Let's go out to Jody uh, listening over in Virginia. Hey, Jody. Yes, sir, Brian. Thank you much for taking my call. I really love your show. It's the second time I've gotten through to you. My question is like, thank you. I'm a Republican, of course, in Southwest Virginia, and we have a small business. We don't put out yard signs because I don't really want to offend potential customers, you know, in my neighborhood or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, Doesn't uh, pay. Okay, my question really is: Do you honestly think that as much as the media hates Trump and like um, the the whole establishment or whatever, like, do you think they'd ever really show it if he was leading in the polls? I mean, you know. Oh, they'd have to. They'd have to. We're watching it. We have our own pollster, so we don't, we don't need anybody's advantage. I'm not waiting for Facebook or Twitter to put something out. So I'm not worried about the tallies. I'm worried about the post game. If everything's real close and these ballots start turning up, no one's going to be able to handle it. Uh, I'm telling you right now, either side, Kevin, W-N-I-S, Kevin, over in – uh, Virginia Beach. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Brian. Good morning. Say, I was going through a lot of the early voting last night. NBC's got a website, and I was shocked. You know, they've been talking about how the Democrats are going to so heavily outperform during early voting, and the Republicans are going to have to catch up on Election Day. But I found uh, some stark differences to that. Texas early voting. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. 500,000 people more than voted in the entire election in 2016 have already voted in Texas, and the Republicans outnumber the Democrats by 17%, in Ohio by 11%, Michigan by 3%, Georgia by 8%, Wisconsin by 9%. That's all according to NBC News. So I don't know where they get this um, information. Go ahead. I know. That's my real worry. My worry is... 
that people are going to get discouraged. You know, it's kind of cold out. Trump's going to lose anyway. I'm not going to go out. Come on, please. And it's not going to be worth it. I've been looking at the polls, and people can't do that. I don't care who you're voting for. You can't get discouraged. You've got to go out. It's down ballots. Plus, I thoroughly believe the president's in this. I think the people are looking to overcome Twitter. They're looking to overcome Facebook. They're looking to overcome Google. They're looking to overcome every major media organization and show the American people matter more and that we still have a say. one 408 7669 When we come back, uh, Congressman Doug Collins, he wants to be the next senator from Georgia. He's got his hands full, but he's very much in contention. I'll explain when we return. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from Liberty State Park. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We're leading all over the place. You know, we're supposed to be leading after the big, uh, the great red wave is going to come over the next little while. It's coming, it's building. It's going to be a wave like I think, and this is far beyond the last one. This is going to be a wave like nobody's ever seen before. Wow, that's the President of the United States last night, one of his many stops. And today, man, is he going to be busy he is uh, left already. His schedule begins uh, with a visit to Fayetteville, North Carolina. Then he's going to uh, Avoca, Pennsylvania. Then Traverse City, Michigan. Then Kenosha, Wisconsin. And then he's going to finish up the way he finished up in 2016. Luck would have it. Man, does he need it. Grand Rapids, Michigan. We've got a great affiliate out there. Uh, Tuesday, he will relax and, and expected to host a victory party at the White House. Joe Biden will appear at events in Beaver County and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Cleveland, Ohio. They think they still have a shot in Ohio. I think they're wrong. One person looking to go from Congress to the Senate is Congressman Doug Collins, and he is in one of those things called the jungle primary. So if you don't get 50%, there'll be a runoff, and it doesn't look like anyone's going to get 50%. If you look at the polls right now, uh, Warnock has uh, 37%, followed by Doug Collins with 25%, and the latest one has Kelly Leffler, is currently appointed to that seat with 23%. you got to figure if they collapse the Republican numbers, uh, they could prevail and should prevail in Georgia, which is getting a very getting to be very tough for Republicans. Congressman Doug Collins, welcome back. Brian, it's good to be with you. Looking forward to a great day tomorrow. So, uh, Congressman, what do you what do you expect to do today? First off, what's your schedule like today? Well, schedule today is doing uh, things like this, talking to media, and then we're going to have we've got a couple of events. We got a big event today with Roger Stone. Roger Stone is actually. Uh, contacted us. He come to he's coming to town to help support our campaign, and then we got a couple more events, and we're finishing up in my hometown uh, of Gainesville this evening with supporters. So we know that Kelly Loeffler was appointed there by the governor. You and they may have thought you would just decide to stay in Congress. What was the deciding point when you said, "No, I'm going to grind this out"? When I saw the, what I knew was going to come in Georgia, and I knew that we needed to keep this seat, and we needed to have an authentic conservative, not one who. Uh, and unfortunately, Senator Leffler had a great business career. But when it comes to politics, you need to have conservative values in Georgia when you come up against the left. And we've got to have somebody who is strong. And I knew that to keep this seat red, you need to have a strong conservative. I've already been battling the left, as you well know, for, for several years now. 
Uh, I know what that's like, and, and so we needed to keep this seat, and that's why we did it. Because we needed a true conservative who would go up against the liberal establishment down here and start turning back the tide of what those, they think that they're turning here in Georgia. So if nobody gets 50%, there'll be a runoff January 5th with the top two candidates. You, so you'll have about a – if you were able to hold that spot and get the second spot, uh, you'll have a runoff, and you have about a little over a month or so to get the momentum to run a campaign. What are the chances you think the Senate, the power of the Senate, could be decided on that race? It could. I think it's probably not. It could be highly probable. But it is when you start looking around our races, and you know, my hope is, and I think we're going to we're seeing a turn here in the last little bit, you know, which I think will help a couple of our seats in other places. I think Tillis up in North Carolina, I think McSally's going to do uh, well in Arizona, you know, as it was it once was. But this could come down to that seat. So when you think about all eyes upon Georgia, when you think about uh, the experience that that takes to make sure, because the Democrats will come with everything they've got, you know, we're going to come with everything we got. But it's going to be a battle, and you need. Uh, what we need is to be ready for that. And during you know, my last few years in Congress, I mean, that's all I've been in the middle of. It's been in the middle of the fight between the left and the right and been at the tip of the spear, you know, with that, uh, with the Democrats who've been wanting to take me out for a while. But uh, we're, we're going to prove that you can do it here in Georgia and, and that Georgia is, is not as uh, up in the air as they want to believe. You really uh, want to bat, uh, you, Jim Jordan, want to bat as hard as anyone for the president. Are you disappointed as he just come out and said, uh, I want Doug Collins? Well, he did, and, and I think one more disappointed the fact that the governor didn't listen to him down here, and uh, because the president made it very clear on that. He did days. originally, yes. Yeah, he did. And then look, we've had a great experience. We had we were there last night. Believe me, the crowd at the Trump rally in Rome knew who uh, the pick was, especially when he mentioned our name. The crowd uh, really reacted to it, and, and the president's been good, and and we go forward to it. I think you know as we get through this, he's going to get reelected, and we're going to have a good time these next two months. What was your thought of the president's attitude when you saw him? You know, he's been a little aggravated up until the last few weeks. And I think since the illness, since he got the virus and beat it, he almost is the old Donald Trump, the optimistic 2015, 2016 Trump. Do you get that sense? He is in my conversations with him and then just watching him. I've seen him now twice in Georgia. He, he's back in his groove. I mean, you, you can sense that he's, he's just like there's a weight been lifted. He's, last week. he's got focus like I knew. He would, it, and you know, it seems like you know he said after the illness and all, but he came back, and, and like last night, I mean, we were we were the fourth of five stops yesterday, and you could just see the energy level. He's just ready to go. He's very focused uh, on what he wanted to say, and he was back at the crowd. He was back in that what I call that puncher's mode, uh, you know, that fighter mode. He was he was just out there, you know, letting it go, and that's what people are attracted to Donald Trump. Even if they may not answer a poll, they go and vote for him because they say, hey, he says what I think. And I think that's uh, you know that's going to be a big difference here in these last uh, you know forty eight hours. So I'm a little disappointed with a lot of people because they got to act with integrity because this is a very volatile time for the country. You know, I've never seen such passion on both sides. We've seen some of the anger at the president from the impeachment to the Mueller report, uh, from now the virus that has affected everybody's lives and who's to blame and what could be done. Constantly tearing at each other. Friendships have been destroyed. Families don't speak to each other. They're waiting to get through this election. And tell me about how irresponsible, if I could lead the witness, Congressman James Clyburn is with this statement. Cut 23. The only way, in my opinion, uh, for Joe Biden not to be successful on Tuesday is for voter suppression to be successful. Uh, They've done a tremendous job of undercutting the Postal Service. I've had complaints all day today. And so I already know some Biden voters here in the South Carolina are not going to be allowed to vote simply because the Postal Service uh, has been undercut uh, by the Postmaster 
General? Really? So the postman yeah. is just not delivering ballots for Democrats? I mean, look, and that's fine. I think he's been in office a little bit too long. I think at this point, when you're that desperate to start giving excuses on why Joe Biden's going to lose, which is what that is, and you start blaming the post office, you stop, you start blaming voter suppression. Yeah, Brian, I'm about had it with voters. This this idea, especially because they come, uh, Stacey Abrams and her crowd come at Georgia as voter suppression. We fought this in, up in hearings in Congress. I'm gonna tell you what voter suppression looks like in Georgia. We had four million people vote in 2016 in the presidential election. We've all Almost had four million people early vote in Georgia. We have had record Hispanic uh, and African American turnout in Georgia since 2014. I, as I've said before, and I don't, I mean this to be serious, not as a joke. If that's voter suppression, we're doing a bad job of it. The problem is the voter suppression is they don't like what the Democrats are selling, and Jim Clyburn can't get them to, to understand that. He knows that Joe Biden is going to lose South Carolina. He's going to lose it big. And and it's just, a, again, this excuse factor to scare people. That's the real voter suppression. If you want to see voter suppression, you look at the Democrats who tell you, oh, it's no, you know, they're not going to count your vote, they're not going to do this, which plants seeds about into people's minds. It's just it's, it's disheartening for someone who has served the country as, as long as, as he has to then actually resort to what is unfortunate scare tactics in the last 48 days when you know, 48 hours when you know uh, your person is getting beat. And it's not a beat on so I know that excuses. Now, I know you, I'm talking to Doug Collins, who wants to be the next senator from Georgia, and if he is successful, I don't think anyone's getting 50%. He'll be in a runoff election. That'll be January 5th in Georgia. But people are talking about the African-American turnout. They're talking about some of the tumult that's taken place there, and that Stacey Abrams have mobilized the black vote that has Republicans nervous. Do you want to take that on? Yeah, I do. I think I want to take it on in simple fact. You're going to see I, I, one of the untold stories that nobody wants to write now that they'll start writing on Wednesday morning, especially when I think we see the results of the presidential race, is that Donald Trump, for the first time, uh, actually took on issues of the African-American community, the Hispanic community. And he did it with a bill that I wrote, the first step at the criminal justice forum. He did it with opportunity zones. He did it with actually reaching out and helping communities that have never been helped before. They've been talked about a lot, but they've never been helped. So, you know, look, they may talk about, and, and again, it's sort of disheartening to when you see the media or others talk about a group of Americans being this monolithic block who don't think for themselves. But you see it here in Georgia, and I've sensed it here in Georgia on our campaign, you know, African-Americans, Hispanics, and others who are coming up and saying they're voting for the president because for the first time he actually did something instead of just talked about it. Stacey Abrams and her, her crowd just talk about it, but they don't do anything about it. Right, and, and there has to be a day when a black vote does not mean Democratic vote. It means they're, they're, if Republicans go out and say, I want that vote, rather than we'll never get that vote. Do you think we've hit that day? I, I think, well, for many of us, we have. I think it's, it's for us. You know, look, I go back into, you know, I think one of the reasons that most the people who have normally not been involved in politics are attracted to this president because he doesn't really see people from a demographic or, or, or socioeconomic background, even the color of his skin. He just wants us to be Americans and succeed. And I think people are tired of, of the politics of division. They're tired of the politics that says that if you're this color or this race or this demographic or this, that you're going to vote a certain way. The, the truth of the matter is people want the best. They all want the same thing. They want the best of their families. They want the best of their communities. And they want the best uh, you know, economy we can have because when people are working, people are happy. When our, and our country is doing good, that's what they see. And I think those are the kind of issues we need to get back to. But, again, it's, a, it's a perpetuated by a media group, and, you know, as you and I thought about before with, with the mainstream media, who just don't want to report it. They would rather see groups of people isolated instead of brought together. Right. So, uh, Congressman, last thing, prediction. 
So we know you want to get to the point where there's a runoff. There's almost no hope of either you or Kelly Loeffler getting 50%. Reverend Warnock, the highest he's been at is at 37%. So what is your prediction? Uh, prediction tomorrow is that Wednesday morning we're going to wake up and we're going to be in a runoff with Raphael Warnock. It's going to be myself and Raphael Warnock, and there's going to be a clear distinction in Georgia, and I know we'll be talking more about it. There's going to be a, a clear distinction between you know two people, one who has a very liberal vision, government-dominated vision, uh, one who has a more uh, conservative belief in people uh, division. It's going to be interesting for two, you know, sort of a side note, two uh, pastors who are going at it who believe the world view too, so differently. So people are going to get to see that uh, contrast. It. And then on January 5th, we're going to, we're going to win this thing. And we're going to be in the center. All right, because you're a pastor, too. That's part of your background. It is. 11 years worth, 19 years right. as an Air Force chaplain. I'm still in the Air Force. So. And, and he knows how to fight. Uh, Congressman Doug Collins, yeah. best of luck. I look forward to talking to you again. Best of luck tomorrow. Thanks a lot, Brian. Y'all take care. Bye-bye. Go get him. one uh, 408 A lot on the line. I have a lot of information polls. Also, some great analysis coming your direction. And we'll always have the latest breaking news as it happens because people are still looking for that October surprise, even though we're in November. Don't move. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Nate Silver, you will know the score, even though I was wrong before. So, look, guys, uh, our current model shows that Trump has less than a one in six chance of winning. About the same odds as the number one coming up when you roll a die. So, for example, (laughs) one. (laughs) Well, I guess that shows you that it's technically possible, however unlikely. But roll it again, and you'll see that it's a... But roll it again, and electoral college tie, that's not even an option. There you go. Uh, Nate Silver, they're having some fun in SNL with the cold open, but but don't kid yourself. It was a big warning for Democrats to go vote and not to take it for granted because people have been telling Joe Biden he's had a blowout, that he's he's won this thing already. That's why he takes six days off before a debate and two days off after the debate. And now he just started doing multiple events. And his first date with Barack Obama on stage was Saturday. My goodness. Ron listening on WOKV in beautiful Jacksonville, Florida. Ron. Hi, Brian. How are you today? Great. What's in your mind? I, I always appreciate the athlete who leaves it all on the field for their team, no matter what the score is. And watching Trump, right. he left it all. He left it all on the field for Team USA. President Trump ran his campaign with gallantry, and I don't care where you are politically. You have to be in awe of his energy. Um, he he won he won against Biden and the Democrats who unfortunately patronized the COVID virus. I guess Biden felt that's his meal ticket. Otherwise, uh, I'm still not sure what Biden really stands for. Half the time, he sounds garbled when he speaks. So I tip my cap. Right. Wait, wait. I'm going to give it. So hold on a second. I want you to hear this. Tell me if you can make sense of this. Cut five. I'll lead an effective strategy to mobilize true and international under pressure. Mm, that's a foreign voice you, to me. You, can, <laughs> can you help me with that? 
That's a that's a farm voice. She's, she's gobbled half the time. You know. I so, know. So I tip my yeah. Sorry. I appreciate the call. Uh, thanks, man. So that's what I always said before. That's how I started the show. At the very least, we could appreciate somebody that did everything possible to win. And my goodness, he would have been doing these earlier had he not gotten the virus. But the but, but the back the thing that makes this such an anomaly, such a unicorn election, is that some are down and they're saying. My goodness, why is the president not urging everyone to wear a mask? Why is he having events? Doesn't he know that there is a risk to that? And the answer is yes, but it's worth it. When he says don't wear a mask, is I could tell you to wear a mask, but you still have to make your own decision. That's its whole point. The other thing to keep in mind is Barack Obama, excuse me, Joe Biden, who might as well be Barack Obama, will shut this country down within three weeks. Boris Johnson did it. Angela Merkel did it. Franco, uh, uh, Macron has done it and over in France. Belgium is doing it. You know, Moscow is fine, but the rest of the country is uh, a mess. Their hospitals are being overrun. And the one thing the president has said, I won't shut it down. Uh, there's no way that Joe Biden's not doing that. Get ready. Gary, listen to WDBO. Gary. How you doing? I called you t- over three years ago on Election Day, and I said I will never vote again if Trump's not elected. I will never vote again if he's not reelected. Did you Biden vote? Biden is fake news. Did you vote? I did. All right. So there you go. In Florida, it certainly uh, it it certainly matters. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, Gary, you're over in Florida. That certainly matters. I appreciate it. All right, so that was it. He put his line in the sand. If Trump doesn't win, uh, I'm out. I'll tell you what. He wins Florida. You got to think he's going to get North Carolina. It's Arizona he's got to hold, and Georgia he has got to hold. I think that would be key. You talk about angry. Listen to Joe Biden. Not only is he angry, he also screws up. If you want to be president, you better be able to identify an eagle. Don't you think? Cut seven. I know Philadelphia well. I married a Philly girl, by the way. And by the way, I got my Eagles jacket on. No, it was a Delaware Blue Hens jacket on, so he didn't even know. And it's just so bizarre to think that when you're happy, you honk. Greg, listening in Ventura, California. Greg. Yeah, I, I, my problem is I don't understand why Trump is having such a problem with, with these attorney generals. He fired uh, the first guy. Now this Bill Barr, Sessions. he won't do nothing either. I don't get it. Well, Barr's done a lot. Uh, when it comes to the indictment, he doesn't want to handle out his report and make it political. The Durham report is going to be explosive, but he doesn't want politics to get involved in it, and that's the key. In fact, Senator Lindsey Graham talked about that, and he talked about the fact that he is expecting some indictments to emerge from it. And here is uh, Lindsey Graham, cut 34. It was Hillary Clinton in July trying to cook up a plan to link Trump to Russia in 2016. In September of 2016, she tried to attach Trump to Russia to deal with her email problem to deflect. We've learned there was Russian collusion, but it was between the Clinton campaign and it was between Russia. Yes, and he says, I will bet I'd be shocked if there aren't indictments. But he doesn't want politics to be involved. It'll diminish the report. I can respect that, but I also understand your frustration because no one ever pays the price for their unsavory acts. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from beautiful New Jersey, overlooking Manhattan, overlooking the Statue of Liberty in Ellis Island. Uh Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Liberty State Park.
From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. From historic Liberty State Park, or right across from uh, right across the Hudson and right across New York Harbor, I should say, uh, overlooking Manhattan. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. What a view! This is uh, this is really, unfortunately, the best place to have seen the ugliest incident in American history: domestic attack, and that was 9/11. It's a huge 9/11 uh, remembrance panel and board and wall with everyone's name on it. And this is really the vision, the view I have now of the Freedom Tower. Over to my right is the Statue of Liberty, and of course right there is Ellis Island. And they have rebuilt this place, and it's just the perfect place in which they have uh, a lot of the Fox broadcasts are. Our show, Fox and Friends, The Five is all coming out of here over the next few days. And New York City, by the way, like maybe the cities that you're listening to me in, boarded up. They're preparing for violence, which goes to show... The Trump people aren't the ones to get violent. It's, it's the other side. It's the Antifas out there. When challenged, sure, it'll happen. Not many people are worried about the Proud Boys ruining their city who aren't even Trump supporters. And it goes to show you maybe he's got a better shot than all the main media groups have let on. So before we get to Michael Goodwin and at the bottom of the hour, one of the finest pollsters in the country, Mark Penn, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Things are getting worse around the country. I think Thanksgiving is really going to be an inflection point. I think December is probably going to be our toughest month. Are we even going to have a Thanksgiving? Governor here told us not to have one. Coronavirus. All 14 battleground states see increases as Anthony Fauci goes out of his way to bash the administration 48 hours from Election Day, showing the doctor is playing politics and working instead of working on cures. Number two. We are in front of the famed Empire State Building, which has already been boarded up on the ground level. This is to stop people from breaking the glass and going in to loot. Even Nordstrom, the major retail chain, said they're boarding up all 350 of their locations around the country in advance of Election Day. You believe this? The vote, the integrity, the fear of fraud. How long must we wait to get a winner? What we now know so far and why we all should be concerned that violence will flow regardless of which candidate wins. Plus, we'll bring in the cutting-edge analysis hours before the polls close. Number one. This election is a choice between a crippling depression or a historic boom. There's two ways people get inspired. They get inspired by inspiring leaders who do great things like Barack, and they get inspired by really bad leaders. I'm not being facetious. (sighs) We're going to have to deal with this. Less than 24 hours of both Biden and Trump give their final arguments. What did you vote for? Where did you vote? And what are you still waiting to hear if you have not voted yet? And that's uh, that's the number to call, one 408 7669 And I see the, all the calls lining up, but let's go to New York Post's own and Fox News contributor himself, Michael Goodwin. Michael, welcome back. Good morning, Brian. Thank you. I know you wrote about Hunter Biden and everyone walking away from that story except Fox and New York Post, basically. But before we get to that, your feeling now compared to 2016. 
you know, Brian, I, I tell this story that uh, on, on the election day of 2016, the day after election day, I, I, I wake up and I tell my wife, you know, I had this amazing dream last night. And, uh, of course, we had all stayed up to see that remarkable finish, uh, that surprising victory for President Trump in 2016. <clears throat> it's very hard to compare uh, the situations. because I mean, while there are many similarities, the fact is if Trump were to win this time, it would not be a surprise. Uh, I mean, the, the media organizations have been forewarned. If they've chosen to ignore it, that's their business. But I think everybody recognizes that the president has put on a late push here. Uh, he probably uh, definitely stumbled in that first debate. It cost him a few points in a couple of weeks. I think he redeemed himself very well in the second debate. And I think that the contrast between the candidates, between their platforms, uh, has become sharper and better defined. So when Joe Biden said at that second debate that uh, he would transition out of fossil fuels, I mean, this, that's an amazing statement. As the president said immediately, that, that's a big statement. Um, when you think of, you know, natural gas, oil, coal, I mean, this is, this is you know, 95% of the energy in America. And when Joe Biden yeah. says solar and wind are cheaper than, than uh, oil and natural gas, that's simply not true. Uh, it was enormous subsidies that did all of that. And you think of all the employment tied to the, to the fossil fuel industries. Look, I understand that there, that there is a pollution factor, but then again, America is the cleanest of the industrialized nations when it comes to all of these things. So ingenuity, American know-how and technological advancements will solve a lot of these problems mm -hmm. that the left wants to solve by shutting down industry. I mean, it's a job killer. It's a social killer. So th that, that, I think, is now a very sharp contrast. Yeah. And then just yesterday, Kamala, Senator Kamala Harris put up a, a video of, of equity in outcomes. Now, this is a, it's a silly little video. It reminds me of the, the Obama administration's pajama boy, uh, where they had, you know, the way to get Obamacare passed is go, when you go home for Christmas, put on some pajamas and have some hot chocolate and tell your parents to support Obamacare. Uh, that's what this is. It's a little, almost a comic animation of what, uh, the socialist outcome of America would be if everybody had equal outcomes, not opportunity, but results. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a quota system for life. That's what they're preaching. And, and that we are somehow racist if everybody doesn't get the same wage or the same house or the same car at the end of the day. It, it's a remarkable statement of what their policies really are about. So you combine those things. Uh, they will kill jobs. They will take merit out of everything. Uh, they will right. dumb down the, the school system. Uh, it's a remarkable contrast. I think if there's one thing the president should have emphasized more in the campaign, it was school choice. 
I think that's a great issue uh, in urban areas particularly, where the public school systems like New York are inferior in many neighborhoods. And school choice, meaning charters and other opportunities mm-hmm. for, for students who are, for parents who are not happy with their local schools, I think is a very important part of freedom and very important part of liberty. And I think the president should emphasize it more because it is very popular in many black neighborhoods, particularly right. in New York City and other urban areas. Well, let's, let's take a look at some of the polls that I think could keep people away from the polls, if, unless they were going to be determined to understand that the polls are often wrong. The New York Times-Siena poll comes out and says, well, in 2016 they had uh, Trump uh, up four overall. Uh, 2020, Trump ends up, uh, excuse me, in Arizona. Trump was up four. In October 2020, they have uh, Biden up six. In Florida, uh, Trump was up one in 2016 going into October, now at the end of October, and now Biden's up three. In Pennsylvania, uh, Trump was up one. Biden ends up going by one by one, but now Biden's up by six. In Wisconsin, Biden's up by 11. Trump won it by one. Do you believe all these polls? I don't know, Brian. I don't have any firsthand knowledge that would tell me they're wrong in their methodology or that they've oversampled, you know, Democrats or young people or whatever. Um, I, I, look, I, I think the, re, the reality in 2016 is that the polls were close on a national level. What they didn't pick up was late movement uh, in, the, in the battleground states. And the battleground states, uh, I mean, people, people deciding over that final weekend, which we just passed in 2020, deciding, you know, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, no pollster is going to be able to pick that up because it's happening too late to be of any value to, to prediction. So, I, you know, I think that's we've, we've clearly seen a tightening. The polls you uh, just repeated, uh, they show if, if they're right, Biden would win an electoral college landslide. I don't think that's going to happen. It could happen, but my guess is it won't. I think the president uh, will right. probably win Florida. Uh, North Carolina, I don't know, but I, I would not be shocked if Trump picked up Florida if, if he carried Georgia. Uh, Arizona is going to be close, uh, but, but I think that Pennsylvania, I think the president has a good shot at Pennsylvania, Ohio, uh, those two. So he can win without running the table. Uh, but on the other hand, if Biden wins Florida, it's very hard to see how the president makes up the 270. No. Because it also what it means for North Carolina and the rest of the southern states, yes. it might be of like mind. But I think he gets Florida. He wants Pennsylvania. And then when it comes to the Midwest states, Wisconsin looks like the hardest uh, tree to climb. But it could be that Michigan ends up being the big surprise. And Biden deciding to go to Ohio today is kind of interesting because I don't think that's within uh, his reach. So I want to, in a couple of minutes we have left, I want to talk about Hunter Biden's emails. It looks like that laptop, that hard drive that reveals not only him doing some horrible things with crack and maybe women. It also shows deals and personal numbers and complex communications between him and his father. And now we have his 
business partner, Tony Bobolinsky, out there to provide great detail and turn everything over to the FBI. So this is all real, authenticated by the New York Post and Fox News. And Joe Biden's going to go to Election Day having nobody asked him, are those your son's emails? Are, is that their signature? The FBI signed this out. What do you know about Bobolinsky saying that you're part of a deal that you met twice? And he knows uh, times and places. We're going to go to Election Day without him being asked those questions. It, it, Brian, it is, the, uh, for me, the complete corruption of the media. Uh, not, as you say, not to even force Biden to answer the questions. To it, it, it turns the First Amendment privilege of a free media on its head. It no longer is about the value of informing the public of, of being free. It, it is now about a, a conspiracy to deny the public information. Uh, they do not want Joe Biden to answer the questions, and so they don't ask them. Uh, to me, it is, it is unforgivable. This is, as I say, this is a complete corruption of the media. It started four years ago, uh, most most specifically related to Trump, uh, with the bias against him in 2016. It continued throughout his presidency. And now we see the flip side of it, which is the refusal to print or to chase information that might harm Joe Biden. It's a remarkable uh, thing we have witnessed. The, as I say, the, the complete corruption. There's not an, a scintilla of believability anymore because everything is now seen through the prism of partisanship. The ideology has ruined the credibility of the media. It's down to rock bottom already. There was a recent poll, 72% of Americans believe reporters uh, intentionally make mistakes or intentionally uh, or do, do things that they right. know are wrong but uh, don't fix them. I mean, that's a remarkable indictment of our media. And it's gone. It's just broken beyond repair in the short term. And that's why I think that the Biden, the Biden example, the Hunter Biden, the Bobolinsky issues that you talked about. I interviewed Bobolinsky. There's no question in my mind that he knows the Bidens, that he was involved in their project. He's all over the emails. The emails are authentic. The New York Times knows the emails are authentic because Bobolinsky talked to one of the reporters and told him that, but they have never published that information. That's scandalous. That is absolutely scandalous. It is a choice. They keep attacking the president on his taxes. They, they cited Saturday the so-called depreciation allowance. Do you know, I, I got a letter from a banker who worked with uh, Donald Trump, and he said over the years, Trump was a fantastic customer, loyal, honest, everything he ever did. He said over the years, the New York Times itself, the company, has claimed hundreds of millions of dollars in depreciation allowances, which, as I wrote in the column, I didn't know the exact number, as he does. But he said he agrees. That money goes to pay the reporters' salaries. And yet the reporters are there arguing that Donald Trump is something of a convict for taking depreciation allowances in his taxes. But sometimes it's they don't understand they it. They benefit from it and they don't have the courage to admit it.
and they don't understand they don't understand the whole real estate business at that level. And Trump could have made it easier by letting him out in 2015, explaining it would have been a dead issue, but that was his choice. It made this a lingering issue, but it did not blow up like the New York Times wanted it to. They've done four major exposés on this president and his background, and nobody cared. So uh, we're going to see. I'm real worried. Last night there was a, a huge conflict between Antifa and the NYPD. We're having these guys and these women work 12-hour shifts. Come Election Day, who knows what's going to happen in New York City. Michael Goodwin, thanks so much. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you. All right, we'll see what happens. New York Post, uh, and you can get him on Fox News, too. 1-866-408-7669. From Mike over here in New York to Missy over in uh, Virginia to Michael and Derek and Scott and Jeff. We'll get to all of you next on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis. Because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. There's 197 electoral votes rated as toss-ups right now. Four years ago, it was 171. So for those of us in the Trump campaign who went through this four years ago where we were advocating that uh, that the president, then-candidate Donald Trump, work as hard as he did to win the turnout, he's doing that right now. Almost 100 million votes have been cast. And a lot of the recent uh, early vote in places like Texas, Florida, North Carolina, it's coming our way. That's Joe McLaughlin with the Trump team. He's an excellent pollster, very well respected, and he's able to uh, read the tea leaves there. So I'm sharing that with you. We're coming to you from uh, Liberty, the uh, Liberty State Park over in New Jersey, overlooking Manhattan. Uh, It's a special day on Election Eve. Missy, you're over in Virginia. Hey, Missy. Hi, Brian. How are you? Good. What's on your mind? you vote yet? I'm sorry? Did you vote yet? No, I haven't. I wanted to talk to you about character. I'm 48 years old, and I've lived my life with character. I had a 790 credit score. I'm college educated. I've worked for 27 years of my life. I was a cop for 20 years. And here I am. Mm-hmm. I've applied to 170 jobs, and my character can't find me a job. And I eat one meal a day, cereal. But you know who's not having a problem eating, Brian? Prisoners who lack character and make poor choices. They get three hots on a cot. You know who else isn't starving right now? The welfare mom who dropped out of high school at 16, had five kids to five different dads. She got a, a $1,200 stimulus check, and she got $500 apiece for each one of those kids, and she's not having a problem eating. Well, I mean, sounds like you are more on the conservative side, and you want people to have an opportunity but not a handout. Mike, WABC in New Jersey. Mike. Oh, Mike, you know what? There, I, Brian. I Thank you for taking my call. Hey, hey Mike, you... this is a tease. Mike, I'm up against a break, so I'm, I don't want to give you a short thrift, so hold on. We're going to come back, and I have a quick interview, then we'll get to you. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you on Election Eve. Yes, the Monday before the big day. Don't move.
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're seeing some closing in the polls, and some of it is pretty dramatic. But the question is, is it enough, and will it continue between now and Tuesday? And what's the the division between the early vote and the election day vote? We know that the Democrats are going to tend to do better in the early vote, particularly the mail-in ballots. But we also tend to believe uh, that the Republicans will do better on Election Day. But how the, the relationship between their respective leads among the respective forms of voting is hard to calculate. We have no uh, baseline to go from. And so I, I think we, we could conceivably have a very long night and a, and a pretty close contest. That's Carl Rove weighing in. Let's get Mark Penn to weigh in. Uh, you know, Mark, he's very respected. I think he first broke on the scene nationally with the uh, Clintons, and uh, he was managing partner of the Stagwell Group, a global organization of digital-first marketing companies, as well as chairman of the Harris Poll and author of Micro Ten Squared. Uh, and your latest article is Countdown to Victory, but who's? Mark, do you think this is close? Well, look, I think that it's obviously getting close, sir. I think that if you're judging it on the polls a week out, you'd say, look, every poll showed Joe Biden with a significant advantage. As, as I say, either either those polls are right or we're going to have to redo how we do polling. I mean, I'm actually surprised at how much time is being spent on who's winning and who's losing on the basis of polls. We're going to find out who people voted for soon enough. So let's talk about Florida. Use Florida poll. You have this, a Florida poll has Trump down three. But the internals look more favorable to the president. And you point to the popular governor who's got 53 percent approval rating at that point. That could help. Right. Trump. Yes, I, I, I did look when I looked underneath the surface. We, we did a state by state Florida poll on the Harris poll. One of my jobs, the chairman, chairman of the Harris poll. And and we had uh, Biden plus three. But. We had a very strong job approval rating for Trump at 49. We had DeSantos at 53. We had a very strong Latino vote. <clears throat> so I would have to definitely put that in a in a toss-up mode <clears throat> with a lot of underlying dynamics there favorable to Trump. I wouldn't be surprised if he won the state. Well, I, I, I kind of would expect it, uh, especially because I'm hearing, and I guess it reflects in some of your math, that he's in, increased his popularity with Hispanics, uh, Cubans in particular, and relocated Venezuelans and some open-minded Puerto Ricans. Uh, and that is something Republicans haven't been getting of late. Yeah, no, he's polling in the 40s in, in with, with Latinos in Florida. I mean, I think it's a, it, it's a very strong performance. Obviously, the question is, you know, what is the setback? Uh, among seniors relative to that? Do those things wind up balancing themselves out? Um, I, again, at a certain point, we run out of what polling can say. And and, and I, I, like I said, I think he's got some favorable trends. I think he's he's showing some momentum going going into it. Uh, and so you've got to assume from a Trump strategy, if you don't, you've got to win Florida, Georgia, and North Carolina to make this a, to make this a difficult night. Otherwise, a loss in any one of those states and kind of the night's over. 
Mark Penn, can we look at North Carolina now? You said you know some some polls, I guess, consolidate is down one or two, up one or two, depending on what you're looking at. They also have a very tight Senate race, one which a scandal just entered into it, Cal Cunningham, and he decided not to do much after that came out. The race, tight, the race has tightened, I guess. So this was tight, too, in North Carolina, and the president ended up winning. Uh, he ends up winning there. What's changed in four years? Again, mostly, again, Trump has some weaknesses in the suburbs. Uh, in, in North Carolina specifically, we didn't get a lot of, of black voters voting voting for Trump. I think the big difference between between Biden plus one and and the opposite will be if the so-called 15 or 20 percent of the black vote in North Carolina votes for Trump, well, actually, that that actually would tilt the state over, you know, uh, uh, on its own compared to what we got. We got actually very few black voters voting for Trump. So how does that affect Tillis? Uh, you know, again, didn't spend a lot of time. That race is basically dead even. Again, if I were giving an edge in a close night here with Trump momentum, you'd expect you'd expect him to go over the line in North Carolina. But the problems that Trump has, I think, are more so once you once you head up to the once you head up to the Midwest. The Midwest. Uh, before we do that, uh, Pennsylvania in particular, I'm seeing most of the polls, him down four or five uh, in Pennsylvania. But I've never seen someone work harder in Pennsylvania. Now, Joe Biden is coming back to Pennsylvania. What does that tell you? Well, obviously, all of the statisticians have figured out that so goes Pennsylvania now. Probably so goes the nation in the sense that it's 20 electoral votes. It's a big block. Uh, that you have to make up with a with a Wisconsin and a Michigan for instead. And so if you're in the Biden campaign, you're saying, look, if we hold on to our five points, it's a blocker. And you're in the Trump campaign. We won it before. If we can bring that back again here, Trump's problems, the suburbs, it's largely he's doing incredibly well in the in the rural areas. Obviously, Biden uh, is is losing votes because of his positions on on energy and fracking uh, compared to where he was two two weeks ago, but five points is still a lot to make up in a state that's heavily suburban, and Trump has so far been less successful at reaching out to those suburban voters. So one thing he's tried to do, Mark, is say, listen, whatever Joe Biden says he is, he's not. He's really Bernie Sanders. He's holding a place for Bernie Sanders and AOC because they have the power in the party. And the most liberal senator, uh, great, the person who grades out as the most liberal senator, is his running mate, Kamala Harris, who probably agrees with Bernie. And tell me if this helps or if there's a tactic behind it. In a Zoom call that's gone public, here's Bernie Sanders addressing the squad. Cut eight. We understand that electing Biden is not the end all. It is the beginning. Okay. And I think as the result of the work that all of you have done, Biden's proposals in this campaign are a lot stronger than they were in the primary. And his proposals are stronger. Do they go as far as we would want? No, they don't. And we're not giving up on our agenda. But you know and I know that at the end of the day, the only way that we're going to provide quality care to every man, woman, and child in an affordable way is through Medicare for All. And we ain't giving up on that struggle. All right? We're going to introduce Medicare for All. We organize our people to make sure that Biden becomes the most progressive president. So this gets out. It's not a big surprise. It's out. 
Is he trying to shore up the left wing that you can still vote for uh, a 77-year-old that acts 97 and that says he's a moderate, don't, don't listen to him? Or is this something that hurts Biden's cause? Well, look, I think the strength of the Biden campaign is what they have done is kept together their alliance with, their, with the left no matter what. And, and I think that's been clear. And, and as you see, some of the more leftward politicians are saying don't, to, their, to their members, don't worry, we'll use this as, uh, as a progressive springboard. And, and the Biden campaign will be going to its more moderates and saying don't worry. But they have been successful at keeping that coalition uh, together. And so that's a strength of the campaign. Look, President Trump's strength is in the economy. His weakness is in health care. And he's battling out on, on, I think, what's the best way to approach, approach the virus. I don't think this argument about their way to the left is, is really what I see making a difference not right now. Well, you're the pro. But the reason James Clyburn comes out and endorses Joe Biden, because they began to panic that Bernie Sanders is going to get the nomination and he's unelectable. Because of, not because of Bernie Sanders, but because of what he represents. If it becomes clear that that Joe Biden's uh, agenda, I think that becomes something that would affect voters. But you don't? Well, I do, but it's a tough argument to make in the last 24 hours, right? I, I do think it is a, it's a tough argument to play out when I think Biden said, look, I'm the candidate. I'm the person. It's a kind of complex argument. Well, don't worry if you elect him. It's gonna... So uh, my, my point is, I, I think it's a, it's an argument. If I look at it, conservatives are, are voting for um, uh, are voting for Trump. Liberals are voting for Biden. But in but moderates are more in the Biden camp. And I don't think this kind of complex argument uh, is going to have enough time uh, to be as effective as just sticking to the economy. How does it change things for Mark Penn that 93 million people voted already? You know. I, I do agree with Carl Rove. We don't have a lot of experience figuring out, you know, how how that's going to impact. What we're getting back in the polling is that the people who say they voted early in the mail voted more Democratic. And so Republicans need good weather. They need a, they need a really strong turnout on Election Day to match the, the earlier uh, turnout. That's as much as we know. And it also means in those states where they don't count them, it's going to be really hard to figure out who wins on the spot because we don't have any science that will really help us that way. We don't get random samples. We don't get sample precincts right away uh, like we do. So, yeah, he, you know, Carl Rove is right that that if the Republicans have a very strong showing on election night, uh, it, it could take uh, some time to figure out who's won and who's lost. Interesting, because they're, they're counting after the effect. They're counting in North Carolina later. They're counting Pennsylvania up to three days later. I know Michigan tried, so as Wisconsin could have a bit of a delay. This tend to, I, I just wonder what that's going to mean in the long run. And make, the longer you wait, the more people wonder, is someone, something underhanded going on? Even though you might say, my experience, the answer is no. But people are saying, oh, my goodness, we could have multiple states with this whole election up in the air days after. Is that likely? Uh, I won't call it likely, but I'd certainly call it possible. Uh, and I don't. I'm not happy really about uh, the, all the changing rules and and this counting afterward. You know, you may remember the movie Citizen Kane, where Citizen Kane had two headlines: Kane wins and fraud at polls. 
And I'm afraid both campaigns have sort of geared up with those two headlines, and that's just not good for the system. You know, we need a winner. We it, need a loser. It hurts the country. It hurts the country. If I was to throw three states at you and ask you what is the most ripe or the best chance of Trump flipping, Minnesota, Nevada, or New Hampshire, what would you pick? Minnesota, Nevada, or New Hampshire. I'll pick Nevada out of that because simply because I think he's been gaining among among Latinos, um, and and that that has been that that's an obvious trend uh, versus the others. Prediction. Uh, prediction, as I said, I'm sticking with the polls. Uh, I believe <laughs> I'll take my version of the Citizen Kane headline. Either the polls are right, and and I think I think Biden had a really strong edge coming in, or we're going to have to rethink how we do polls in a in a in a in a really divided, polarized uh, social media society. Those are the those are the two from outcomes from. <laughs> so you're a pollster going with the polls. I'm a pollster going with the polls because I've done it for 40 or 50 years, uh, you know, and, and you, you look at the polls and, and it's closing. But, the, you know, it's a really it's a really it's a really tough deal. As I've said to you probably for two months, the only way Trump wins is what's called a, is a surprise upset. And surprise upsets are only seen in the last minute. Right. And of course, that is the way Trump likes to write his movies. And that's the movie he's in. Mark Penn, thanks so much. I look forward to analyzing the aftermath with you. Thank you. Go get him. one 866 As you know, I'm going to start with Mike and WABC when I get back. Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. From his mouth to to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. No matter what happens here, there's going to be a lot of tumult. All right, because I I think it's going to be a close race. Tuesday night. I do not think this is going to be a blowout. I think this is going to be you don't a very think we're close race. I do not think we're going to know on Tuesday night, particularly because of Pennsylvania. But in terms of the president's mindset, listen, I think he thinks he's going to win. Um, I really do. I don't think he always thought that. And that's interesting. And he does know. And he knows that after a while, it doesn't matter at BS in him because he knows the truth is sitting right in front of him. Mike, listen on WABC. Mike, thanks for waiting. What do you think about tomorrow? Oh, I hope Trump is going to win. I think he's going to have the big red wave because if people voting for Biden, you got to be kidding me. He's going to sell us to China. He's going to destroy this country with those AOC girls. They're going to destroy everything, the oil, the fracking. Uh, you, we're going to wind up like Venezuela. People don't realize what they're doing. They got to vote for Trump, not for Biden, because he is going to sell us down the tubes. And he didn't do nothing in 47 years, 47 years. I know. He was vice president. He was uh, chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee and seemed to get everything wrong. And that that guy, and now 77 years old, wants to run things. Jeff, listen, WPTF in North Carolina. Hey, Jeff. Hey, how you doing today? Hey, um, first of all, I want to just say uh, I hope this country comes back together after Wednesday. Um, The polls are making it clear they haven't changed in two months. Um, people oh, they changed a lot. 
Yeah, well, well, going back a little bit, he still has the lead is what I'm saying. Uh, Biden, so I think he's going to win. Um, and another thing is that uh, I just hope we come together after this. And uh, somebody's lying. Like, you know, either I'm lying to myself or the caller before you is lying. And I don't. I, I hope, hopefully I'm telling the truth. But uh, we need to face reality. Polls are polls. If you like them or not, uh, they are the reality. And they, they're being more careful right. this time than they were last time. Yeah, they are, possibly. And... Hillary Clinton did go to Wisconsin, some of these Midwest states. But I will say this. He's also a better campaigner now. His crowds are actually bigger now, despite the pandemic. He also uh, is better organized. And believe it or not, even though Joe Biden raised more, he had more money uh, this time. I think his message is better. I think Biden stepped on himself in that debate and has been able to shake it. It makes me wonder what would have happened had Trump been better prepared in the first and actually had a second. Scott, listening on the stream in Tampa. Scott. Morning, sir. How you doing? Good. What's on your mind? So I was in Florida and uh, just wanted to talk about the um, polling uh, stations. So one thing that I've noticed um, more this uh, election is no one was really wearing anything who they were voting for. No one was wearing Trump right. or Biden before in the in the past. I've actually seen people go in there wearing who they support for. So. I think, and again, this is just my thoughts of it, is that Trump supporters are afraid to wear who they're going to vote for because they're, they don't want to be yelled at by Democrats. So it's just one of those things where I think Trump might pull it together, you know, win Florida due to the fact that we have those hidden voters, I guess is the best way to put it. Gotcha, Scott. Silent majority. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. In one of the stupidest lawsuits ever, Hollywood actor Johnny Depp lost a libel suit uh, against a British tabloid who claimed he beat up his girlfriend at the time. And it turns out, upon further review, he beat up his girlfriend. They have evidence, including photos, auto recordings, text messages. It shows he beat up Amber Heard, causing her to suffer significant injury. It was 100% right. The judge knew it, and now everybody knows it. Nice move. Genius. Next. Prince William struggled to breathe as he secretly battled the coronavirus. That's another royal member who adds this virus. Kind of a young guy to have this type of problem. Oh, okay. Lori Laughlin will serve a full sentence unless COVID spreads in prison. Good thing she'll be in in prison for what? Two months, according to TMZ. The 85% rule applies only if someone is serving a sentence longer than a year, so she'll serve two months. I just can't believe that's still a thing. I know. I think I really think she'll be there less than two months. You do? They always are. The other one just got it. The other one got out quick. The other one, Felicity Huffman. Felicity Huffman. <laughs> now, if she comes out, does her time, and comes back, I bet you she becomes a bigger star. Can you imagine the first interview? Cries a little bit. The kids are, in, the kids are already a multimillionaire because of YouTube or whatever she's on. Yeah, people love a comeback story. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Wow, from Liberty State Park in beautiful uh, New Jersey, I am Brian Kilmeade. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We come to you from a historic site right across the way is Ellis Island. Adjacent to that, of course, is the Statue of Liberty. I turn over my right shoulder. You can see the Freedom Tower where the World Trade Center once stood. What a great, remarkable place this is. If you're not in the area and if you do get close to the area, if you're one person that just goes to Manhattan, uh, take a ferry over here and check it out because they also have a remarkably 
uh, a, a remarkably appropriate memorial for the 9-11 victims of 9-11. This was the view that so many people had of the towers being hit and then, of course, them falling. And then the aftermath, this is where people shot most of that, was able to uh, view most of that here in Jersey City. We're here because Fox moved over here uh, to have something legitimate in their backdrop, not something you buy in a store or a Michaels. Uh, We are here because Election Day is tomorrow. And coming up shortly, Bill Hemmer, he's going to break it down like nobody else and tell us why this thing could probably drag on for a couple of days at least. And then this guy named Brett Baer uh, at the bottom of the arrow. So first, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Things are getting worse around the country. I think Thanksgiving is really going to be an inflection point. I think December is probably going to be our toughest month. Uh, And that is Dr. Scott Gottlieb, the coronavirus. All 14 battleground states see increases as Anthony Fauci goes out of his way to bash the administration, showing the doctor is playing politics instead of working on therapeutics. Number two. We are in front of the famed Empire State Building, which has already been boarded up on the ground level. This is to stop people from breaking the glass and going in to loot. Even Nordstrom, the major retail chain, said they're boarding up all 350 of their locations around the country in advance of Election Day. The vote, the integrity of the vote, the fear of fraud and how long must we wait? What we know so far and why so many are concerned that violence will follow. Plus, I'll bring you the cutting edge analysis hours before polls close. Number one. This election is a choice between a crippling depression or a historic boom. There's two ways people get inspired. They get inspired by inspiring leaders who do great things like Barack, and they get inspired by really bad leaders. I'm not being facetious. All right, thanks for that. Uh, That is Joe Biden. Less than 24 hours, and both Biden and Trump give their final arguments. Who will you vote for, and what are you still waiting to hear? We're going to take a look at the polls for the final time. Again, 14 rallies the president's had in 72 days. Today, he will deliver remarks in Fayetteville, North Carolina, then Avoca, Pennsylvania, then Traverse City, Michigan, then Kenosha, Wisconsin, finish up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. With me right now, Bill Hammer. He's going to be hosting his show at 3 and playing a vital role in our election coverage. Bill, welcome back. How are you, brother? How you doing? Good. I hear you're jealous of our location. <laughs> I tell you, Brian, it's beautiful. Um, it isn't it great. I know the wind's kicking up. It's probably not the warmest location, but the backdrop is stunning. And you know, I think I was watching you guys over the weekend. Was it Sunday morning you were over there? I, th- yeah. I thought, man, how long has it been since we've seen the beauty of Manhattan displayed like that? Because, man, when I'm in my Uber and I'm going up and down these avenues, you know what I do, Brian? I look out one side of the window the entire time, and I count block by block what's open, what's closed, what's empty, and what's never coming back. And for almost every block in Manhattan, you can do that, and it's a depressing sight. This ain't the town it used to be. Bill, I wish you were exaggerating. And what I tell people is, since we're heard around the country, and you might be saying, I don't go to New York, but the whole, the whole world knows about New York. There's a, it's a city like no other. You never There's something there for everybody, whether it's something in culture or something fun to do. Or something for kids to do, great place to shop, I can go on. But here's what happened. It's been gutted. It's been gutted. I walk every day from 48th to 34th. I'm the only one in a suit. Nobody's working. And when people point to our governor saying what a great job he did, really, at what price? 
You ripped the guts out of the city. You took out the tax base and told it to go go do something else and then begged the federal government for a check and ridiculed the president for not writing it. That that gets you a book deal. That gets you a book deal, Bill, and gets you a book tour in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, there's so much to say about this. I don't want to go on and on. I think the, the okay. points that you're making and I'm making are obvious here. I'm, I just think after 9-11, what you have to understand is that the southern end of the island below Canal was a mess for months. But the rest of the city yep. still functioned a, a couple of days, if not a week after 9-11. This, this is everywhere, and it's, it's sad to see. Um, I always give it a two-year outlook when uh, dynamic events like this take place. My, my hope is two years, Brian. And... Uh, um, I think at the moment that would be the optimistic time frame. Absolutely. So, Bill, one of your areas of expertise is going inside the counties, inside the numbers on the Electoral College. First off, you did a wonderful job, and I get this all the time. Do you think we're going to get a verdict on Tuesday night? And what are the states that might hold that up and why? Yeah, um, great question. Uh, Massively complicated answer here. I I wish I could deliver to you simply, but I've been reading so deep and so long uh, in order to try and understand it. I'll I'll break it down as simply as I can. If you look at the map of the country, east of the Mississippi River, talking about an eastern time zone, uh, polls will close for most of the state in Florida at 7 o'clock, panhandle at 8 o'clock. So by 8 o'clock, Florida's had close to 9 million votes votes cast early, they started processing those votes weeks ago. What does that mean? It's not in a Trump column or a Biden column. They're just making sure the vote is legal and can be verified. What Florida will do uh, between 7.30 and 8 o'clock is all those counties will start to populate, and we'll get an idea about who, who, who voted by mail and who they voted for, who voted early in person, and then after that we'll get a sense about who's voting on Election Day. Uh, 20 years after the debacle of Tallahassee, Florida has done a very good job. I can tell you, standing at the board, uh, they do a very good job of giving us information early in the night. At 7.30, North Carolina, similar story, but not exactly the same. They've had a lot of heavy in-person voting. Uh, They've had a lot of mail ballots that they need to process as well. But North Carolina started this five weeks ago, according to state law. Here's where it gets tricky. Same part of the country, right? Eastern time zone. Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin start counting and processing the day of the election. Now, what happens when they produce these results? We have been told that Republicans still prefer to vote in person, which means on Election Day tomorrow. We've been told that Democrats prefer to vote by mail. So if the initial batch of ballots that is produced by these states is a mail ballot, in all likelihood, that's going to skew toward Joe Biden. So I'm telling the audience to be patient. We're going to work through it together, but there's a really strong chance that you could get a real swing toward one candidate, then have a boomerang effect late into the night or even on Wednesday early morning. Wow. And let alone if it's close, you know, so you you got to get the tallies and then you got to look around and go, wait a second, is this close? And then we have this three day lag period in Pennsylvania and North Carolina, correct? We do. And Ohio's got a lag period about 
of up to 10 days. Well, what the laws state in, these, in those battleground states, Brian, to understand it simply, is that if you have a postmark on a ballot that arrives by or on Election Day, um, sorry, it's postmark for Election Day, which is November 3rd, and if it arrives by the close of business on Friday in Pennsylvania, it will count. Um, Minnesota's the following week, Nevada's the following week, Iowa's the following Monday, Ohio goes the following Friday, which is an additional 10 days. And um, in, in a close race, we could be hanging on to ballot returns in various counties for for a week possibly, and then you're going to have court fights, no doubt about it. But before we go there, here's what I'd like to say. To your listeners, if you really want to be a geek about this on Election Day, go ahead and start examining some counties. Maybe it's your own county. And here's what I would do. Look at the percentage of the vote that Trump got in 2016 and see how he matches up with the percentage of the return in 2020, if those results are in for a particular county. And then look at the real votes that are in. Does he meet it? Does he exceed it or does he fall short? That will at least give you some some clues if this drags out as to how it might turn out. Great advice. Now, why do you think simply the the exit polls or whatever we call it now, Fox News analysis, uh, why do you think they were so deceptive to the best in the business early on in 2016? What was happening that threw so many people off? Um, that's a good question. Uh, listen, I grew up in Ohio, and um, <clears throat> I understand why people voted the way they did in 2016. I also understand how big media in New York City and Washington missed it. I believe NAFTA had a profound impact on a lot of people in central and western PA, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, even Minnesota and Iowa. And I still think it has a lingering effect on these people three, almost three decades later. People had a lifestyle. They were on their way. And then when the trade deal forced them out of a job, they were left to scramble. And they scrambled for a decade. And I don't really think whether it was it was Clinton or Bush or Obama, uh, no one really spoke to these people, and Trump did. Now, he won them over, and I'm curious to know whether or not he still has them in 2020, or has the other side become so ticked off with his personality that there are, they are ready to rage vote and throw him out of office. And I think that's that's the barometer we're trying to figure out. With regard to our voter analysis, the reason we changed it is because we were so wrong four years ago, and everybody was for that matter. So we went to a rolling average. We started polling on October 26th. We'll go through to Election Day. We'll talk to people who vote and people who don't vote to try and gain a fuller understanding for what's happening in these various states. The exit polling was always difficult, Brian, because you showed up in person, um, the pollsters did, and when you cast your ballot and you walk away, you got somebody wanting to ask you a question about why you voted and for whom. Well, a lot of people were turned off by that, and it did not represent a, give a fair representation of what the outcome could be. Mm-hmm. For example, many pollsters now are convinced that Democrats are willing to talk to you if you ask them a question. And now they understand that Republicans, by and large, are not. And that's an issue. Very interesting. So why do you think that Joe Biden today, 
will be in Pennsylvania and in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, <clears throat> I know why he's going to Cleveland. Cuyahoga County is three to one Democrats. That's where you win the state. Uh, perhaps they see something breaking there. There was some polling over the weekend that suggested Ohio was more tight than what we were led to believe. With regard to Pennsylvania today, the reason he goes to Pittsburgh and the reason he goes to Beaver County, which is right near Pittsburgh, is, um, in my view, uh, that's, that's steel country. Uh, these are blue-collar Democrats who crossed over to Trump in 2016, and you're going to try and lock them down. I think the people who vote in western PA are just like the people in northeastern Ohio. And I'll give you a little anecdotal story here. When I was at the board in 2016, there were three counties in northeastern Ohio. They're called Ashtabula, Trumbull, and Mahoning County. Mahoning is where you find Youngstown. These are blue-collar Democrats who haven't voted for Republican in decades, if not generations. And the night that the vote was coming in, these counties were flipping from blue to red, and I thought, man, we got a story here. Now, Youngstown, Mahoning stayed blue, but the other two went red. That's, that's an area, and it, it may sound obvious to some people when I mean, you try to evaluate this, but, man, I'm going straight to those counties when we start getting uh, some real votes in on Tuesday night to see whether or not the trend is still there or whether or not Joe Biden's winning them back. So, Bill, last thing is, and this is more your opinion, um, when you go to a Donald Trump rally, I know where you want to go. There's going to be a tape there. People are going to have fun. When you go to a Joe Biden rally, you pull up in your car and he yells at you for 20 minutes. And then he said something, at least one thing incomprehensible, and then you leave. Does that really do a lot of good? Well, it's uh, unique. <laughs> and look, I mean, their strategy is to is to hunker down and <laughs> whatever numbers they're getting, I mean, they, it suggests to them that it's a winning formula. Now, will it work? I guess that's why we watch and we wait. Bill, you played sports, right? What if your coach came up to you and said, "I'm looking to win a championship, and the formula is with you not playing." <laughs> How would you feel about that? Listen, I don't get it either. The winning formula has you on the bench. Listen, bro, what do you understand about 2020? (laughs) Nothing. I don't get it. Hey, coach, whatever you do, don't put me in. All right? I'd like to win. Uh, Bill, look, but you have genius analysis. We miss having you in studio, but I couldn't have you in even if you were available because the uh, the Chinese gave us this pandemic. I'm going to tell you all about it when I see you in the hall. You got it. Hey, Brian, question for you. What time do you go on the yes. air Wednesday morning? Five. Five, okay. Five. Yeah. Uh, I might see you then. So. <laughs> oh, yeah? Because, that's well, right. Are you going to be at Liberty State Park or are you going to be in Manhattan? Oh, my God. That's right. You're going to be over there. I'll be back at uh, – I'll be in Midtown Manhattan, and I plan okay. on doing an all-nighter, and we'll see whether or not it's necessary. All right. Thanks so much, Bill. I think it will be. Bill, uh, Bill Hammer, you're the best. Appreciate it. All right, when we come back, and by the way, watch Bill today at 3 and, of course, all the election coverage. Uh, your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News.
a talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. All right, coming back with uh, Brett Baer in about 10 minutes. But I want to go to Derek. Derek's listening over in Florida. Hey, Derek. Hey, Brian. Good to be with you. Um, Brian, I just want to, you know, your earlier guest, Mark, was basically saying a liberal is a liberal. But I actually think there is more dissension within the party. If you remember back in the primaries, um, you know, when California and Nevada voted um, in uh, early March, um, Bernie won both those states pretty handedly. I believe it was 36 percent California and 46 percent in uh, Nevada. Then uh, a couple of weeks later, March 17th, when they came to Florida, Joe Biden won every state. I mean, every county in the state. Bernie Sanders um, won like 22. Per- I mean, it was abysmal. So, yep. And, and, and it's not I would say that wasn't a love fest for Joe Biden. I would say that was a vote against socialist Bernie Sanders. And I would also say that's not just the Latino vote that every every person in, um, you know, from Miami to Pensacola are non-socialist and they don't want any part of it. So I think so that brings me to the the pick that you were talking about, Kamala Harris, who is now a vice president, you know, the vice president candidate and the yeah. most liberal, very close to Bernie Sanders. It don't mix. I mean, putting Joe Biden and wondering whether he's going to last. I mean, I'm just being realistic. Is he going to last a year and a half? You know, before. Listen, a- I know I, I we're, we're seeing the same appearances. They are uh, they are totally unhinged. And Harris doesn't like him. He doesn't like her. They don't even like each other. Uh, during when they were campaigning against each other. They didn't even see mutual respect there. Coming back with Brett Baer. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. radio show like no other it's brian kilmeade pennsylvania has not bumped up to a seven or eight point biden lead like we see in michigan and wisconsin it's five points it's not a big early voting state so a lot of votes have not yet been cast in pennsylvania among the votes that were sent in by mail there are some provisions about a naked ballot a security envelope that can make things more complicated you can get have the courts involved you have some protests looting in philadelphia right there's lots of stuff going on and maybe a lot of little things add up, and Biden loses Pennsylvania by half a point. Without Pennsylvania, then Biden becomes an underdog. That is Nate Tilfer, um, 538, weighing in. He knows, like many other people, they were wrong last time. He is noting somewhat cautiously that the polls have considerably narrowed. A guy that gets uh, the up-to-date polls will be anchoring all our coverage, along with Martha McCallum, and you just heard Bill Hemmer, is Brett Baer. Hey, Brett, welcome back. Hey, Brett. Uh, Brett is one of those times in which I feel like it's deja vu in some cases because even though people cite 2016 and are being cautious, the polls are all leaning seem to be one direction where maybe the Trump team is confident in Florida and maybe they feel as though they're making some, uh, they feel pretty good about Ohio again. The other states, it's a grind. Have you 
seen many things pushing back on Pennsylvania and uh, Michigan and Wisconsin? No. So this is this race has been remarkably steady. Uh, in the past couple of weeks, it has started to narrow just a little bit in the states that you mentioned uh, towards the president's way. Um, but you are now within the margin of error for these states. And we're talking Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Florida, Arizona. Okay. So if you have a big Trump turnout, like really big, it's possible that he overperforms like he did in 2016. I mean, he went from, let's say, going into 2016, two points down, and he'd win by 1.7, let's say. In Wisconsin, he was uh, down or tied, and he finished plus seven. So, I mean, the shift was anywhere between two to seven points. I mean, if you apply 2016 to this map, Biden still could squeak it out, uh, but it's definitely a path for Trump. I think going into Election Day, the advantage is still with Joe Biden, uh, but clearly uh, President Trump is motivating his voters. Because I believe that there's such a dissemination now between people, number one, mail-in ballot, number two, I'm going to vote early, number three, I'm going to show up, I'm determined to show up the way it's supposed to be, the traditional way, on Election Day. And you mentioned, I just mentioned on air, you just mentioned on television, on Fox News, that the weather looks good, and that's a factor, right? It is a factor, yeah. I mean, it really is. I mean, weather can can change, uh, you know, turn out for a state more than anything else. And right now, all across the country, especially in, the, especially in these key battleground states, uh, the weather looks good on Tuesday. If you think about it this way, nationally, you could see a, a national popular vote that goes to Biden by more than the three million votes that Donald Trump lost to Hillary Clinton. You know, a wider margin Which, in yeah. in the corners of the states, but it, I mean the corners of the country. But it really doesn't make a difference because you have to win on the electoral college. You got to get the two hundred seventy electoral votes. So here's what the president said yesterday. It's really bugging him. Places like North Carolina and Pennsylvania that are going to be counting ballots late. Got twenty one. You know what would have been really nice though if our Supreme Court could have ruled that everything has to be counted. By the evening of our election, our great election day, wouldn't that be nice? Instead of waiting around six days, eight days, nine days, giving them more time. If they want more time, let them put their ballots in early. They don't have to wait till the end. He's clearly frustrated by that prospect, and I think it hurts the country because we begin to have doubt about I don't care how it breaks about the integrity of the election when they say, okay, these ballots just arrived on November 3rd. Let's check them out. Okay, the new winner is, that could be a disaster. Yeah, and that's, you know, they're, they've got lawyers on standby uh, ready for a whole bunch of states. You know, I mean, I was in Tallahassee in 2000 for, you know, hanging chads for 40 days and 40 nights, and, and it's not inconceivable that you could have three, four, five Tallahassees uh, with absentee ballots and signatures and time that they got in and uh, stamps and are they in the right envelope, you know, and challenges. Um, I think, you know, the president also could be the other side of the coin, which is he could be down by a few votes and need those extra military ballots or something like we saw in Florida. Absolutely. So, Brett, give us an idea of election night. 
Where does the first battleground state, and they say this 14, I'm sure you agree with that, 13 or 14 now. Where do you first start seeing when you're going to start looking at things and saying, okay, now we're getting an indication? Is it Florida? Yeah, Florida, but now you've got all of the east, eastern, southern side there. You've got Florida, Georgia, North Carolina. Um, those states will give you a really good picture. Uh, you know, early, we're going to be able to, at least in North Carolina, they count all of that vote and they put it out first when the polls close. So you'll get a, a real definitive big dump at 7 o'clock when those polls close. And then, um, you know, I, I would say probably by 8.30 or so, we should get a sense of, of Florida. By 9 o'clock in 2016, we started seeing that the I-4 quarter was not performing. Um, it was overperforming for for Donald Trump, and, and Hillary Clinton was not making it up in Miami-Dade. So, you know, by 9 o'clock, we started getting a sense of where Florida was. So you got that, I remember, and then North Carolina came into play, and then you noticed something happened with the so-called blue wall. And what, I, what we're going to see, too, is a lot of contending Senate seats. Do you believe that in almost every case outside Mark Kelly, the presidential candidate is going to carry that that Senate seat in these close races. So, for if the president's going to win North Carolina, so is Tillis. If the president's going to win uh, in Michigan, so will John James. Well, see, I think that that's very possible, and I think that the president can lift a candidate. It's not probably going to save them in Arizona or Colorado with Cory Gardner. So, you know, there's probably a negative there. You're going to pick up one in Alabama. And so it's a, a back and forth, right? The Democrats have to have a net plus four or net plus three plus the White House to take control of the Senate. So um, as you bounce around, it's very conceivable that you end up up with two runoffs in Georgia, that both of those races can't get to 50 percent, and suddenly we have the balance of power of the U.S. Senate on two races in the state of Georgia in January. Talking to Brett Baer, obviously, he's going to be doing the election coverage. He's on all day, but his show starts at 6. So no one ever asked Joe Biden, are you going to accept defeat? Remember Hillary Clinton said, whatever you do, don't ever concede. That really only got played here and she got a total pass on that except for one podcast. Well, Chris Christie was asked about the Axios story that the president plans on declaring victory early. Cut 26. If it doesn't go the president's way, you know him pretty well. Is he prepared to accept defeat? Yes. Yeah, I think he is. And I think a lot of the stuff you heard him saying at rallies indicate that. He understands where he is in this race. I think as with most candidates, as you get to the end here, and I think Don is right, I think the, the president's campaign is surging now. I think he's comfortable. I think he's a lot happier than he's been in a long time. You see that in these rallies that he's doing. This is his sweet spot. Um, but he also is not going to be a guy who is going to sit there and, and not leave the White House. Okay? He, will, he will abide by the decision of the voters. I'm confident of that. So I don't know, it's almost like a warning shot with a story unsourced saying rumors is, according to a White House source, they're almost plowing the ground just to try to clear the field. Do you get that sometimes? 
Yeah, I mean, listen, the the unnamed sources and all of the, the that stuff. Uh, the president addressed that last night, said it wasn't it wasn't true, but then went on to say is that we're going to send all these lawyers into Pennsylvania if they're not done counting, right. and we're at the ready. The the truth is they are at the ready to do to do that, and I think they're going to fight uh, if it's close, uh, but if it's not. I think that these stories about him holding on to power and not leaving the White House are are kind of far-fetched. So, Brett, i got to bring you to something else in the big picture. When the dust settles and we have a victory and you maybe get a couple of well-deserved days off, you're going to think back on this. And I think what I'm going to be coming to is the major stories that were not covered, the stories that never emerged. I was just talking to Allison. We didn't even hear any of the rumors behind the scenes of backbiting or somebody looking for power or the, uh, Joe Biden getting the wrong message from his team. He's looking. At, we don't hear anything where every day you get nonstop gossip from the Trump team. On the other hand, this story about Hunter Biden backed up by Tony Bobolinsky that almost got no play outside the New York Post and Fox News, I know for a fact you don't run with gossip. You waited to validate this. You also said that we never got offered this story first and rejected it. You said that sure. was not true. And right. now we look at this story, and, it's, and now we're going to get to it. We're never going to find out if that was Hunter's signature. We're never going to find out if Joe knew about this deal. We're never going to find out if he is the big guy. We're never going to find out if he's going to claim Tony Bobolinsky is a liar about the two face-to-face meetings they had and what it consisted of. We're never going to find No one asked the question. ABC tried one day, and that was it. You as somebody that worked every step of the way and knew you know the ethics of journalism better than anybody, does that stun you? Will you be thinking about that for years and maybe giving speeches on this? <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, I mean, I think that um, we've covered the lack of coverage, and um, it was kind of stunning if you you, you think about it. I mean, it was lockstep. And then add to that the social media aspect of it and the kind of the shutdown of the New York Post at the end of a campaign. It, it was pretty stunning. Uh, so is this, that the thing that turns this election? Who knows? Uh, but it is a story that um, obviously is a story and and worth uh, asking questions about. And then someone wrote you, I think, on Twitter and said, I'm really surprised Brett Baer is talking about this. He's I always respect him as a journalist. And you wrote back, essentially, this is a story. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, it, it was Dana Milbank, I think, and said I was hawking this uh, conspiracy or something. It's not <laughs> – you're not pitching something. It's, it's this guy is the business partner, and he's coming forward on camera, handing over his phones to the FBI, sitting talking to FBI agents for six hours uh, with his lawyer, and he's saying that he met with the former vice president, and the former vice president is saying they didn't. How is that not worth asking about? And uh, that's not hawking anything. I think so. I Listen, I always thought so. So I won't put you in the prediction business, but can I ask you this? Do you believe on November 4th, when we go to do the show, we'll more than likely have a winner, a projected winner, when I go to do the show on Wednesday morning at 5 a.m., which I hope you're going to be there for? So um, I think that's a tough one to say. I think that if things trend, if Trump pulls out another rabbit, in other words, he outperforms 
we're, we're heading in because the Trump voter is just not on the radar and he outperforms. I think we could be in for a long couple days of, you know, states wrapping up. And the difference in some of these states is that small that it makes a difference. So, I mean, if I had a candidate casino, I would put probably 60-40 that we do not know as of 5 a.m. on Wednesday. Okay, and if we put a request for an appearance on our show at 5 a.m., will I well, get I'll be up. voicemail? <laughs> You'll be up. <laughs> will it go to voicemail yeah. anyway? We'll be like, no, I'll, I need I'll a break. Get, text me. I'll get on. All right. Okay. <laughs> I know one tired, thing. Your hair will look on. great. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, Brett. Good luck. Um, I'm glad you're anchoring the coverage. Fun to watch. Thanks, man. We'll see you. We'll see him tonight at 6. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. We're coming to you from the beautiful, beautiful. I mean, this place park right across from Manhattan, across from Manhattan. in New Jersey. Uh, back in a moment with your calls. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'll lead an effective strategy to mobilize true international depression. That is, that was played at a Trump rally because at least once a speech, Joe Biden will put together nine words together. In case you think it's about stuttering, it's not about stuttering. I'm just comparing him to what he was. And that's the guy that could be president of the United States. And I'll tell you, that's why people show up at Trump rallies. There right now, the president's coming up. He's stepping to the podium for his first appearance of four today, five today. And he's in Fayetteville, North Carolina. He is pumped up, believes he can win that state. And the president will play that. It makes it, it, makes it a fun day. Uh, meanwhile, we're at Liberty State Park. This thing is about 2,000 feet from the Statue of Liberty. It's right next to, obviously, Ellis Island. and just across... Uh, from Manhattan, just a beautiful area that was totally revitalized back in 1976. Used to be a place where you would go, you'd check in at Ellis Island, come here, and then good luck in America. So it's historic, and it's great for the people of New Jersey. you got to make sure to come. Uh, let's, uh, let's go to the phones, and let's go to Michael in Georgia. Hey, Michael. Good morning, Brian. How are you? Michael, did you vote yet? Yes, sir. Proudly voted for Trump and Doug Collins to be the next senator from Georgia. Our guest in the first hey. hour. Good job. So, so, so we'll see what's going to happen. You're getting a lot of attention. You guys are not used to this much attention. How does it feel? Well, it feels great. But let me just uh, here's a little secret. Uh, the pollsters are all inside 285 in the city of Atlanta. They don't go to North Georgia. They don't go to South Georgia. Georgia is not going to turn blue. Georgia is solidly red behind the president. And these polls that show Republicans behind and, and uh, the president behind, they are suppression polls. And I can't wait this election so we can drive a stake through the heart of these dishonest polls. Got it, Michael. Jackie O in Florida. Jackie O. Hey, hi, Brian. Uh, I admire your work ethic. I'm on the radio by far. Uh, Thank you. Appreciate it. What's on your mind? Okay, Brian, I'm uh, concerned about the demographic shift since the last election, uh, specifically the 18 to 24-year-olds. Uh, their numbers have increased greatly. They've been brainwashed by the educational system. 
Uh, I'm also concerned that we lost a lot of older voters that passed away, unfortunately. And that shift hopefully will not be the difference, but I'm very concerned about it. What do you think? Well, I think Hispanic votes make up for the, I think, the big concern among the experts, if on the Republican side, are Republican suburban women white, and they're made up, they believe, and more by the pickup in the Hispanic vote, and they also believe they picked up African-American voters, and they also think a lot of people are staying home, especially in Miami-Dade. So I think this is, I think that out of all the battleground states, I feel best about Florida for the president's sake. And, you know, more people in Georgia are saying what my past caller just said, that don't believe the polls. Uh, Darm, listen on WSKY in Gainesville. Hey, Darm. Hi. Hi, Brian. Um, So I'm about to turn 57 years old, and I've never voted for a Republican in all those years of 38 years of voting until the other day I voted straight Republican. And um, my background in politics is usually kind of a, a spiritual slant and what really strikes me is it's a vote for, you know, caring about people and freedom versus control and, you know, victim consciousness is the way I look at it. And Yeah. Uh, In a few weeks, we're going to get a call. Everyone locked down again for the good because we're listening to science as our lives fall apart and people start with suicide and uh, the economy craters and we become more vulnerable to China. And that's what you'll be voting into office. Uh, thanks for switching, Dorm. That's what's at stake. All right, get to the polls. Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.